Merry Christmas, Church of Woodbine. How are y'all? Y'all joyful today? Good, 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 good. So guys, before we get started, I want to have a prayer over us, and then I'll begin. So would you pray with me? Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, that he who was fully God became fully man to live and to die for us. So Lord, as you speak through me today, I pray, God, that you give us all eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive the message that is Jesus. I pray this things, these things in his name. Amen. All right, guys. I'm glad that you're here. During this Advent season that we've just completed today, we have been spending time in the book of Isaiah. And so we've been looking at different messianic pro- uh, prophecies about the one that was to come. And so we saw that Jesus is our joy. He's our hope. He's our life. And last night, Doug showed us how he is our king. So today, the topic is Jesus is our message. And so we're going to start out in Isaiah 62, verses 10 through 12. Before we get there, I have a question. Has anyone ever made you a promise? Yeah? I know that I've, I've had promises made, and there's things that I really wanted those promises, and I had to wait a long time. So maybe today... For our, especially for our kids in the room, if they haven't been able to open their presents yet, maybe that's the promise that they're really waiting and longing for. Um, or maybe even some of us adults. But guys, God, through Isaiah, made Israel a promise that there was going to be one to come that would set them free. And so, if you would, please stand with me as... We read in God's word, Isaiah 62, 10 through 12. So it says, Go out, go out through the city gates, prepare a way for the peoples, build it up, build it up, the highway, clear away the stones, raise a banner for the peoples. Look, look, the Lord is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, Look, your salvation is coming. His wages are with him, and his reward accompanies him. And continuing on in verse 12, And they will be called the holy people, the Lord's redeemed, and you will be cared for, a city not deserted. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. So, what are we seeing here in the beginning of Isaiah 62, verse 10? We see this image of a city. In this, back in Isaiah's day, cities were well fortified. So a city was the place that you went to for protection. They had large walls up. They had uh, different things to make sure that the citizens were secure. And there was only one way in and out of the city, and it was through the gates. And so what we see here is the Lord is using this image of a city and he's saying, I'm going to take away any sort of barriers that we might have, that you might have between me and between them and God. And he's saying, I'm going to do this work 
so that you can enter in to my protection, into my city. And when he's, so what this is, is an invitation to the Lord's protection, an invitation into security and salvation. And even more than that, the Lord uses this idea of a banner. And so he talks about raising the banner. And so in that day, the banner had this concept of once it was raised, it was something that would draw people in into them to into the banner. So it would make them a people, but it would be an, it's a way to collect them. So, so what God is saying here is like, guys, I want you, Israel, despite the fact that you have forsaken me, and despite the fact that you've run after other gods, you've sought protection from other powers, I am making a way for you to come home. We go on to 11, and he says, look, this is Isaiah speaking, look, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth this, your salvation is coming. And then we go on, and he says, for his. And so what salvation is it that's coming? It's not a thing. It's a person. It says his reward and his um, yeah, his reward is with him. And so when he's looking at this, the people are th- can see that it's not a thing that the Lord's going to use to save them, but it's an individual. This is the Messiah that they have been waiting for and that is going to be to come. And so God has them wait even longer than what they expect. But in this waiting, there's a time of where they are able to just continually desire the Messiah's arrival more and more and more. So when we go into verse 12, there's a switch in the subject. It's not, it's no longer specifically the the Messiah that's going to come. It's the effects of the people who are going to receive the salvation. And do you see what it says here? It says that they will be called the holy people, the Lord's redeemed, and you will be called cared for, a city not deserted. What I want to focus in here is this title, the Lord's redeemed. And so how many of us know what redemption is? I know it's a term that we use a lot, but I wanted us to have this definition So what does it mean to be redeemed? So redemption is the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. So what I want to talk about here is in verse 11, we see something very important. When when Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah, he's saying there's no way that you in yourself, can be redeemed. There's nothing that you can do. Somebody is coming who is going to be the one to clear the debt for you. And we see this in terms of Christ's coming. So, we know that there is one that's going to come. We know that he is the one that brings redemption. He is bringing salvation to the people. 
And Isaiah is a messenger of this message to his people. And we're going to transition 700 years into the future from Isaiah's time. And we're going to see another messenger about this same Messiah. And this messenger's name is Luke. Luke has been tasked with writing an account of the life of Christ to his friend, Theophilus. And so in Luke chapter 2, we see Luke's account of the promise kept of the coming of the Messiah. And so Hannah read this earlier, but I want to go back through it. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went. He went to Nazareth, went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family line of David. What do we see here? We see something really unique, because when Caesar Augustus issues this decree, he's not thinking about the, <laughs> he's, not, he's not thinking about the fulfillment of a messianic promise at all. What he's thinking about is, I need more revenue through taxes for my empire. But what's really cool is to see that God is at work in history, and he uses all things to bring about the fulfillment of his promises. And we continue on, and we say, well, why is that important? Why is it important for Luke to include that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus all came to Bethlehem. And we see that it's vital because one of the Isaiah Messianic prophecies, we see that it's claimed that this one is going to be of the shoot of Jesse. And this, Jesus coming, being born in Bethlehem, solidifies his link to the Davidic line. So he is the Davidic king that's come. And we continue on. At verse 6, we see, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So this is Mary. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. What we see here is another fulfillment of a messianic promise, that a virgin shall give birth to a son, and that she would call him Emmanuel, God with us. What's interesting is that this birth, the Messiah that's been so long-waited, isn't met with trumpet or fanfare, but this Messiah comes humbly in the form of a child. And why is that important? It's important 
It's important because what Israel was expecting was for God to provide one to come who was going to give them salvation, was going to redeem them. But what they actually got was God himself came and he is their salvation in Christ. And so not only is this Messiah a man, he's not just fully man, he's not just born, but what's beautiful about this baby Jesus is that he is fully God who was born and became fully man. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the, the visible God. Like he is the image of God that we can see. And in Philippians, Paul tells us that while he had equality with God, being in the likeness of God, not just that he appeared to be God, but that term likeness there means that in his very essence, he was God. That despite being in full deity, he decided to become, take on the form of a servant and to add full humanity to his deity. But why is it important that this Messiah is not just man, but is God as well? It's vital that this Messiah is both God and man because when we talked about the redemption, the definition of redemption, it's paying a debt, clearing a debt. And there's nothing that you or I could ever do to clear our debt. See, I think that's, that's an issue that we have with the narrative of Christmas from the world versus our biblical narrative. Because for Christmas, for the world, they talk about redeeming. They, when they talk about the concept of redemption, it's all about what you can do, the good that you can do in order to clear that debt, to equal this balance. But what Scripture tells us is that there's nothing that you or I could ever do to pay our own debt, but that Jesus is the one who came, born of a virgin, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life that you and I could never live, died a death that we deserved, and rose again from the grave three days later to show that he has power over death and of sin. So when Hannah read earlier, we see at the end of Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, or 8 through 10, we see, we get to our third point, um, we see a response to this promise. There is an angelic, there's an angel, which also means messenger, that comes and proclaims good news to some shepherds. The shepherds who are the least of these, God decides that they are the first ones to hear that their long-awaited Messiah has been born. So what do you think? We see the, the shepherds were tending their sheep. What's really cool about this is that in that night, they expected nothing special. They were literally just living their lives 
doing what they did. And the message of Christ's birth came blaring across the sky and into their lives. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can resonate with that because there was a time where each of us didn't know this message. For me, it was I was a 15-year-old boy who went to a church to get some free food and to appease my grandmother. And somebody shared this message of Jesus with me. And I was so intrigued, which led me to investigate and to look closer at who this Jesus was. And then six months later, after seeking him, he, he invited me into his salvation. And so we see something similar here with these shepherds. And what the message they receive, they receive the message that Jesus is born. The angel says that I bring you good news of great joy. What's cool is that he says it's about salvation. It's like this is the one that you've been waiting for. But Israel had always thought that it was the salvation was only for them. And so what's beautiful for you and I this morning is that the angel proclaims that this is for all peoples, that this Messiah is not just a Messiah for Israel, but it's for all, he's for all of us. What I really want to point out now is it's really interesting, and I know that we didn't read these verses, but it's really cool to see the shepherd's response after they received this message. So the shepherds go and they investigate this claim. The angel says, the sign that you're going to see is that in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. Your sign is that you're going to see a babe wrapped tightly in cloth in a ma- laying in a manger. And they said, wow, okay. The, sh- the sky was dark. It was light when the angels came. This must be legit. Let's go and investigate it. And so they run off to Bethlehem, and sure enough, what do you think they see? They see the sign that had been given to them. And what do they, do they do after that is they see that this, is, this claim from the angel has been verified to them. They tell Joseph and Mary everything that had happened. And then once they tell Joseph and Mary, they immediately run back to their homes, and they share about what God has done in their lives, in their midst that night. And so for us today, on this Christmas day, I want to have a a call to action. So do we want to make this a Christmas to remember? The way that we do that is we respond to the message of Jesus. And so I have two questions for us to think about today. One, how will you respond 
to this message of Jesus? How do you personally need to respond? Sorry, yes. Worship team, you can come up. Sorry. How do you personally need to respond to this message of a Messiah that's for all peoples that came to redeem us? If you've never put your trust in this Jesus, your response is that you can give your life to him, that he has come to bring salvation, that he's come to clear your debt. And you can do that by believing in your heart that Jesus is God and confessing with your mouth that God raised him from the dead and trusting in his work. But how about for us who have put our, our trust in Jesus? How can we respond to this message, message today? We can look at number, question number two. Who in your life needs to hear this message of Jesus this Christmas? So I want us to think about those who are in our circles of influence this Christmas who need to hear the story of God who became man, who was born of a virgin, who lived a perfect life that we couldn't live, died a death that we deserved, and was raised on the third day. Who needs to hear that in your life? All right. Let me pray for us again, and then we'll continue with our service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I just pray that if there's been any distractions or if I misspoke, God, I just pray that you were still active in your word because you were faithful to do that. That you want to see us receive this redemption. You gave your son so that we could have this redemption. And so, Father, I pray that your word would work powerfully in our hearts today. And I pray this for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.